Hey church, we are in our brand new series called I Am. That phrase uh, is a name for Jesus, essentially, right? It, it's, it's linked to Exodus chapter 3, where Moses asked God, who shall I say sent me to free the people of Israel from Egypt? Like, what is your name? And God says, Yahweh. He says, I am that I am. I will be what I will be. And Jesus uses this, this nomenclature, this designation uh, in, in, the Gospels, uh, in the Gospel of John a few times. Uh, and that one time he says, he just says, I am. And so our series is, is patterned around who, who Jesus is. What, when we say we want you to discover identity in Christ, well, what does that actually mean? Who is Jesus? Uh, when he says he wants the abundant life for you, what does that mean? What does life in Jesus look like? And, and so this series is based off of the question, how much do you really know about Jesus? But, but really more nuanced than that, how well do you really know Jesus? And we want to help you in this series get to know Jesus better. Uh, so how, how would Jesus describe himself? Is he heartbroken? Or is he joyous? Is he gentle or is he severe? Is he inclusive or is he exclusive? Is he solitary or is he social? Is he safe or is he dangerous? Does Jesus unite or is he dividing? Jesus says, I am to all those things. And you can find all of those things in the scriptures. And we're actually going to talk about all of those things throughout this, this series. And he's actually more of those things. And what's cool about this is, that means if your identity is in Christ, if he is your life, you also are those things. You can be those things. And so let's get to know Jesus more deeply. Let's, get to, let's, let's experience him together more fully. And let's discover identity in I am together. And, and so in this passage, you read it already today. This is Matthew chapter 15 verses 21 through 28. Church, I don't know if I've actually ever taught out of this passage before. I mean, it's, it's a pretty, I mean, this passage is, it's a pretty uh, uh, severe, hard teaching. And, and so what we're going to do is I'm going to give you some context for it, because you could read this passage just, just, just these verses and, and say like, what, what is happening? Who is this Jesus? What, what is going on here? So if you have a Bible, you're on your, on your phone, on your computer, uh, you know, a physical Bible like this, open it up and let's, let me take you through some things. So go to Matthew chapter 14 and we're not going to go too, too far back. Uh, so Matthew chapter 14, we're going to start there and I'm going to give us some context for what's going on. And what I want you to do is, I want you to pay attention to who Jesus is as we talk about the context. Because afterwards, I'm going to give you time in your R3 group to talk about that, to talk about what you learned about Jesus just in the context before we get to our passage. So go back to verse 1 in chapter 14, and you're going to see there a, a passage, verses 1 through 12, and it's talking about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist uh, is Jesus's, we kind of forget this sometimes, but he's Jesus' cousin. So John the Baptist and Jesus are, are 
first cousins and uh, first cousins, I don't know if they're first cousins, they're cousins. <laughs> uh, and, and, um, and so Jesus, they're not just ministry partners, they're not just co-laborers. John the Baptist wasn't just the one who, who uh, kind of paved the way and then who, who declared Jesus as the Lamb of God, who's going to take away the sins of the world. He, they're actually also family. So John the Baptist is murdered in these first 12 verses. And, and then we see that Jesus, in verse 13, it says, he withdraws. And as Jesus withdraws, so he goes solitary, right? He goes to be alone. He withdraws. The crowds hear about it. So the crowds gather and they follow. And then, uh, and then the crowds are there. There's no food. And they're all hungry. And Jesus says to the disciples to, to feed them. But the disciples can't feed them. There's a lack of faith there. Jesus says, hey, you just go do it. Like it's normal for them to find food for 5,000 men plus women and children. And, and, and Jesus is like, you go do it. And they, and they just lack faith. And so they don't. And then they see that Jesus multiplies these uh, five loaves and these two fish. And he multiplies that to feed all these people so much so that there's 12 baskets representative of the 12 disciples. There's 12 baskets of broken pieces left over. 12 disciples, 12 tribes, uh, 12 is a, a big number in, in the scripture. So um, that happens. You see a lack of faith, and then you see Jesus' faith in action, right? And then um, uh, Jesus, so Jesus withdraws again. So after this, he withdraws. The disciples go in a boat. Jesus goes, uh, goes in, uh, in isolation again or solitude and uh, dismisses the crowds, and then goes up onto a mountain to pray. The boat goes, uh, <clears throat> Jesus comes, comes out, he walks on the water, so you see another tremendous act of faith. Jesus walks on the water, and Peter is like, hey, I, I'm, I'm gonna try that, so he jumps out, but he fails. And Jesus says to him, oh, you of little faith, you, why did you doubt? So you see again there a lack of faith, uh, and then keep on going. They, they worship him. They say, truly, you are the son of God. Um, and they cross over, and the crowds come to Jesus again. So we're seeing here a pattern of withdrawal, of crowds gathering, of lack of faith, of faith. The crowds, the crowds gather, and Jesus heals all, all who come to him who are sick. They... they they're even just trying to touch the fringe of his garment, they say, because there's so much faith and, and spirit power emanating from him, right? And, and they've, they've heard and they know what he can do. So he ministers to the crowds again. So he's been ministering to the crowds, withdraws, ministers, withdraws. Um, like he's fueling, he's, he's, he's fueling, right? He goes to pray and be with the Father. And, and so there's so many lessons in there, guys. Like you can only minister to others out of the overflow of your relationship with the Father. I mean, that's, that's not the point of today, but just want to throw that in there. Um, or she's just going to get depleted. Even Jesus did it. He had to withdraw. He had to go into his spiritual disciplines. He had to practice the presence of God. So he had to step away and do that. Um, and you see he's walking on water. He's feeding 5,000. He's 5,000 plus. Uh, he's healing. He's healing all these people. So... 
he's doing all these all these mar- marvelous works and then and then in chapter 15 the pharisees so the religious right of the day those who are fundamentalists basically uh, they they gather with the scribes who are also in that in that category. So the Pharisees and the scribes gather, and Jesus has done all of these marvelous works, guys. He's done all of these things, and what do they ask him? They say, "Hey Jesus, why don't you wash your hands before you eat?" What is this like? Are they in like COVID pandemic back then? <laughs> like, why are they asking him about washing his hands? It seems so. Um, well, it seems so religious, doesn't it? It seems so uh, stuck in tradition and, and religiosity. Jesus has been healing the lame. He's been causing the blind to see. He's been, he's been um, healing lepers. He's fed 5,000 plus 10,000 people probably when he had women and children in there. He's walked on water, you know, he's, he's done all these, all these amazing things. And that's just in the chapter before this. We didn't even talk about chapters 1 through 13, guys. So all these things in the Pharisees and the scribes, they ask him about washing his hands. And they're stuck. Jesus is ushering in the kingdom of God. That is his message. He's ushering in a new thing, a brand new thing. God is making all things new, and these guys ask him about washing his hands. They're stuck in their traditions. There's a lack of faith. Right? So we see lack of faith in the disciples uh, a couple of times. We see a lack of faith in the, relig- in the religious rite. Right? The, the fundamentalists here, the Pharisees, the, the scribes. We're going to see the Sadducees later. They're all this religious... Um, the, the ones who should know God, right? They're the ones of all people in that, in that culture who should know God. They've dedicated their lives to it. And yet they're worried about a, a tradition. And, and Jesus says to them, he says here, this people honors me with their lips in verse eight, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. So guys, we can get stuck in that, Right? which is why our church has totally changed over the past couple of years because we were, at, we were uh, in danger of getting stuck in the traditions and, and, and not being open to what God would have for us. Okay? This, whole, this whole sermon today is about, be, about Jesus being open, right? And so as a church, we wanted to be open-handed, open-hearted, open-minded, to what, to what God was calling us to do. I mean, disciple here is, uh, what, how we define it, is learning to recognize the voice of God, right? It's, it's hear and obey. It's hearing the voice of God and doing it and, and obeying it. So they, the Pharisees here, the church people, the, the religious people, the ones who should know God, who should have recognized the Messiah when he came, who should have recognized that it's Jesus, that's him, they totally missed it. They had a lack of faith. He says, your, your worship is in vain. You think you're worshiping, but you're not. You think you're honoring me, but your heart is a long ways off. And of course, you know, in, the, in verses 10 through 20, the disciples say, hey, did you know that the Pharisees were offended that you said that? Of course they, of, of course they were. The Pharisees are offended at, at Jesus' bluntness, right? And then you see, and, and, and just the truth, like, just the truth that 
you're, you're not with me and that I don't know you. Um, and then you see in, in verse 21 at the beginning of our passage today that Jesus withdraws again. And so I want you to take time right now in your R3. I'm going to give you a minute on the screen, but as, as usual, um, this, is, this is where you can pause the video if, you're, if, if you want to in your R3. Um, or you can just take the, take the minute to shout things out. But I want you to just share, to, to share with your R3 what you learn about Jesus and his character and how he operates and who he is just in chapter 14 through half of 15. Just what did you learn about him? And it could be a word, it could be a phrase, but, but what did you see that was new about Jesus? Now, if you say, well, Jesus is loving, I hope you already knew that. So if that's new for you, that's great. But what I'm asking for in your R3 is something new that you learn about Jesus, uh, something fresh, okay? So give you a minute right now to do that in your R3. Okay, guys, this passage, this passage is like, it's, it's, um, it's a hard one. It's, it's a hard passage. We're going to learn something about Jesus together today uh, through this passage. And, and so let's, let's just jump in. So Jesus withdraws. And what's significant about this is he withdraws to the district of Tyre and Sidon, which is outside of Israel. Okay, so he's actually in Gentile territory, like modern day Lebanon. um, And and then you'll see later he'll be in modern day Syria. So this is really rare in in Jesus' ministry that he leaves Israel. Um, And so what he's about to say in this passage is even more striking because he's not in Israel. He's in Gentile country. Okay, so... I just want, I want to illustrate this for you. I want you, so in narrative, in the scriptures, when you're reading narrative, one of the best practices is for you to put yourself into the story. So for instance, when Peter denies Jesus three times, or when he says he's not going to, and then he does, put yourself in Peter's shoes. Would you have done what Peter did in in any of those situations? Uh, So here, what I want you to do is I want you to put yourself in, in the shoes of the Canaanite woman. I want you to put yourself in, in her spot here. So uh, imagine you have a child, and you may have a child, you may not, but imagine you do. Uh, and if, you, if that's too hard, like imagine your, your mom, you know, as, as the Canaanite woman maybe. So 
Um, but let's just say, imagine you have a child and they're, you know, eight or nine years old and you can't do anything for them. They've been sick for years and they're acting kind of wild and they're, they're sick. They're, you, you can tell there's something off, right? So you take them to the doctor, nothing. No help, nothing. You've tried medication, you've tried, uh, you've, you've tried um, you know, therapies, you've tried um, anything the doctor has said and prescribed, you've, you've tried. Nothing happens. Um, and uh, you've, you've tried everything. You've spent all your money doing it. You've spent all your life doing it. You've spent all your time thinking about it. It's just consuming you because this is your child who is, who is uh, semi-helpless and, and you're trying to do everything you can because you love them so much. And now you've been told or you've found out somewhere along the line that, or you start to believe that it's nothing medicine can help with. It's not, nothing therapy can help with, whatever. Anything you tried, nothing can help. It's actually your child is demon oppressed. Like there is a demon oppressing your child. That's where this Canaanite woman is. And this Canaanite woman, she does not have an, is, uh, a Jewish Hebrew framework to free her child from demon oppression. She's a pagan. She's a Gentile. She's not a proselyte. She's not Jewish. She is from a different country. She is from a different people. Actually, she's from the sworn arch enemies of Israel. You know, it this passage is the only passage in all of the New Testament that uses the word Canaanite. And so it, it, it's Matthew here specifically calls her out as a Canaanite woman, showing the, the immense cultural um, disparity between her and them as Jews. Like, and, and also, like, for hundreds of years, you are enemies. And you worship, and the Canaanites worship Baal and, and, uh, and Asherah. And, uh, they've caused the Israel, the Israelites to sin and to, and to go in the wrong direction. And so there's probably some blame happening there. Like, you cause us to lose our land when it's actually Israel just didn't fulfill, uh, their mandate. Uh, but, but this is a Canaanite woman, guys. So that's even more striking that, that she's Canaanite and she's a woman approaching Jesus in, in that culture and in that day, right? So there's a lot of cultural um, impudence happening, right? Where she is saying, I don't care about what's culturally right. I don't care about what is, what is culturally appropriate. All I'm doing is caring for my daughter who, who needs help. And this is her last resort. This is your last resort for your child. And this is it. You don't care that you're a sworn enemy of Israel. You don't care in any of that. And so this Canaanite woman approaches Jesus and she says, Have mercy on me. This is verse 22. O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So she recognizes that. And guys, think about this. You're, you're in her shoes, right? We know Jesus now because we have this book and, and you know, you've, You've, you've read this, you've, you've heard sermons on Jesus, you've been, you have an idea of who Jesus is. She's in a different country, no social media, like, Jesus doesn't have a million Instagram followers, you know, it's not like, 
Like she heard about Jesus uh, and who he exactly is. This is her last resort. She probably hears about this random homeless street preacher going around the countryside healing people. That's her perception of Jesus so far. A Jewish guy, of all things. An, an enemy. Right? So, so think about that. Like, this isn't, Jesus isn't the, the Jesus who we often picture where he's all polished and guys, he is a homeless street preacher going around the countryside. That's how this, that's how the scriptures describe him. He's just in the wilderness doing this, right? So he's going around and, and yet, and still people are following him everywhere. So he, he goes into uh, the Gentile country here. She comes to him and she, she declares this before him, have mercy on me. It's, it's, such, a, it's such an amazing plea because, because uh, guys, you can even hear, like if it was you, you would just be weeping and crying out of your agony. You know, and knowing this is the last thing that, that you could do. And then you're, and then she's doing this to someone who is, uh, who, who basically thinks she's, uh, she's doing this to a culture who basically thinks they're, they're the arch enemy, right? And Jesus, what, what we often know about Jesus, we expect him to respond fully in love and say, come here, my daughter. Your, 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 your daughter will be healed. I, I, want to, I want to help you, right? But he doesn't. In verse 23, he says, he didn't, he didn't answer her, and Matthew emphasizes it, a word. He doesn't even give her the dignity of a yes or a no. He doesn't answer her a word. He just ignores her. But she persists. And his disciples come and they beg Jesus. So the disciples are now begging Jesus to send her away for she's crying out after us. Now, when the disciples say send her away, it could mean, hey, Jesus, just heal her daughter and send her away. All right? It doesn't mean, it's not like the disciples were, were like holy uncompassionate here and saying, hey, Jesus, get rid of, just get rid of her. Uh, the connotation here uh, leads many, many scholars to believe it's like, oh, Jesus, just heal her like you did everyone else, and then they'll go, then she'll go away. Okay, so especially in the context of Jesus healing all these people, the disciples would have just been like, hey, um, just, just do what you did to everyone else, Jesus. But he answers the disciples this. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Jesus is hard-lined on his mission. He knows his mission is to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is a phrase that is already shown in Matthew chapter 10, verse 6, where Jesus sends out the 12 disciples. He says, 12 disciples, only go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Do not go to Gentiles, do not go to the Samaritans, just Israel, right? So God has a responsibility, and it, that sounds harsh, guys, to us, but Jesus knows his mission, and this is where so much more context is helpful for us, because 
just look at my Bible here, right? We're in, we're in Matthew 15, that's this way. This is the rest of the context. All of this, I'm still flipping pages, I'm still going. That's the context. So Jesus knows his mission is based on all of that. It's based on all these covenants that, they, that God made with the house of Israel. It's based all the way back in Genesis 12 where he says, you, you Israel, I gotta raise you up so that you will be a people of my own possession to be a holy priesthood, a, a sorry, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, so that you can be a light to the world. And so Jesus here, his mission is to focus on the house of Israel. And so when, when you see this here, it's not, uh, this isn't about the prohibition of his mission. Oh, like he's not here for the Gentiles. It's about the priority of his mission. Right? That, that's key here. Jesus' missional priority is to the house of Israel. It's why he came as a Jew, to raise them up to be a light to the, to the world, to the nations, okay? So he's not prohibiting the Gentiles. He's setting the foundation so that the world can come, can come to him, right? He's creating a people to do this. So um, there's no prohibition in, in Jesus' mission there. It's just priority right now. Jesus has three, has three years uh, in, in this ministry to just, just go raise up, this, raise up these people. Um, and, and, uh, and what you see here in this passage is the Canaanite woman, she doesn't argue with that truth. She actually affirms it and, and, and acknowledges it later on. So she doesn't argue with Jesus on, on that. Uh, so... Uh, remember, Jesus, it sounds harsh here, but, um, but he's, got, he's got all this context here that, that feeds into that. Um, that isn't even the harsh statement. <laughs> uh, verse 20, 25. But she, remember, you're putting yourself in the story, so you, you come and kneel before Jesus. So this is, this is an act of obeisance. It's an act of worship, right? It's it's an act of, of um, servitude, of, of reverence, of submission. And you're putting yourself down before, before Jesus, uh, before this Jewish man who's a random homeless street preacher man. And you're saying, Lord, Lord, help me. Help me. So she's pleading with them. And you can see her and picture yourself doing this. Like Jesus is still walking with his disciples. He hasn't even stopped. He's, he's ignored. He hasn't even responded to her, guys. He, verse 24 is his response to the disciples. So he hasn't even talked to her yet. And he's just walking. And he's still walking. And she's running. You're running. You're, and then you run in front of Jesus and you throw yourself on the ground before him. And you say, please, Lord, help me. Anything. And you expect him in that moment to say, oh, your faith, like, yes, I, I will help you. And um, I'm sorry I didn't hear you. I'm, I'm sorry that I ignored you, whatever it was. But he didn't say that. Verse 26, he answers, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. That's, 
I don't know about you guys. But sometimes I just have a hard time thinking, knowing, thinking Jesus said that and knowing he said that. It's like, wait, we're talking about Jesus being open, right? <laughs> and God is love and grace and mercy. He's also justice and holiness. And he knows what he wants and nothing's gonna thwart that plan and that mission. And so he's confident in that. He's devoted to that. Guys, he's hearing from the Father, right? You see when he withdraws, it's, it's direct line of the Father. It's hear and obey. Hear and obey every time. And he says, I only do what the Father tells me to do, right? So hear and obey. And he says here, it's not right. He doesn't say, I don't want to do this. I shouldn't do this. I can't do it. He said, it's not right. It doesn't align with the mission right now. It's not right to take the children's bread, the children of Israel, and the food they should be uh, eating and, and filling themselves up with to go out. It's not right to take that. But he doesn't say and give it to you. He says and throw it to the dogs. And that word dogs is, it was a derogatory word that Jews would use for uh, those Gentiles and the Samaritans and the Canaanites. Now, Jesus doesn't call her a dog. He just uses the common language of the day to show that there's a, there's a discrepancy. He uses those categories, and you're going to see, to emphasize his mission... And then also, it sets the stage for the gravity of what's going to happen next. Because this passage is almost like a, well, it is, it's a turning point in the Gospel of Matthew. Because this is the same book, guys, that ends with the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, right? Baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and so all nations is there and this is the same gospel that ends with that. So this is a huge turning point towards that great commission. And Jesus has, has done some ministry to Gentiles and with Gentiles, uh, two other times in the book of Matthew. And we're going to see a, a third and fourth time in this passage, but but um, it's very rare in the book of Matthew. His mission is to the lost uh, sheep of the house of Israel. And this word for dogs here is actually, there's, there's two in the Hebrew, or in the Greek, I should say, because um, this is in Greek. Um, 
there's two of them. And one is like pretty bad. Um, and then one is a more diminutive form. It's a softer form. That means like, instead of like wild dogs, like scavenging dogs, it means like household pets, like dogs. And Jesus uses that one. He uses the latter. He uses the more diminutive form of this. The, 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 you got the wild one and, and the more pet, pet, friendly, pet friendly one, which is what Jesus uses. Uh, remember that for, uh, for the next few minutes. So in verse 27, she doesn't respond with, with saying, oh, you insulted me. Like, I don't want anything to do with you. She, she affirms, acknowledges the truth of the mission and the truth of the, the cultural statement. She says, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus answers her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. In this passage, we've seen the disciples, those who follow Jesus so close, they're his closest friends. We've seen the Pharisees and the scribes, those who should know Jesus the best. They should have recognized him as the Messiah. They should know God the best. At least that's what everyone thinks uh, they are and they should in that culture. And we've seen lack of faith on all of them in chapter 14 and 15. Jesus even calls them, oh, ye of little faiths. It's a, it's a, it's a unique construction in, in the original language. And you guys have such small faith. Why do you doubt? And to this Canaanite arch enemy, Gentile woman with a demon-oppressed daughter who in that culture they would think, oh, well, she, she did something. Like, she, she sinned and, you know, and of course with demon oppression, we won't go into that whole thing, but you open doors to, to the demonic through sin and, and also through trauma and things like that. So um, she's like the least of the least. And Jesus says of her and nobody else in this gospel, O woman, great is your faith. Great is your faith. And you see that even in Jesus being severe, even in Jesus being so confident this is his mission and so devoted to it, He's Isaiah 1. He's God saying, come, let's reason together. And she reasons with him, right? She, she's, I mean, that's a, pretty, that's a pretty witty comeback. And she acknowledges it and she says, yeah, but can't even the Gentiles benefit right now? 
It's almost like she's, she's saying, in the Sermon on the Mount, you have said love your enemies, and I'm one of those. So, like, can't we just have some crumbs? And he says, yes. I'm open to that. Be healed, your daughter. And it's this beautiful passage. And you see right afterwards, Jesus withdraws. He goes up to a mountain and he sits. And of course, great crowds follow him. They come around and they follow him. Remember, Jesus is still in Gentile country. So now it's Gentile crowds following him. So this is a turning point. So now he's kind of in, in Syria, modern day Syria. And the crowds have heard of him and they're following him and they're coming to him and he's healing and the mute are speaking, the, the crippled are healthy, the lame are walking, the blind are seeing. And it says, and they glorified the God of Israel. That statement alone tells you they're in Gentile country because they, they designate this as the God of Israel, right? So they glorify the God of Israel. And then he feeds another almost 10,000 Gentiles, right? So he has a feeding in Israel and he has a feeding where he feeds almost 10,000, approximately 10,000 when you add women and children. The 4,000 here is 4,000 men. Uh, he, he feeds the Gentiles. And guys, there's so much there I can't go into it, but um, Jesus being the bread of life, Jesus saying, uh, my food is to do the Father's will. Basically, my food is to hear and obey. Right? So there's so much there with food and feeding and eating. We, can, we are not even going to communion. Like There's so much there. But Jesus, give, in his mission, he gives a feeding to almost 10,000 uh, Israelites. And then at the end of this, he gives a feeding to almost 10,000 Gentiles. And so you see there the mission, he's, he's open to a change. Like his mission was, was so direct, but he's open to this course correction, right? He's just waiting for that time. And he's so in tune with the father, listening to the father and hearing and obeying that he knows when that time is and, and this is the time. And then it happens. I mean, guys, Jesus intentionally went into Gentile territory, right? So he knows, it's the, he knows something's happening. He knows something's coming. And then the very next passage in chapter 16, the Pharisees and Sadducees come and they ask him for a sign. So out of all these things Jesus has done, they say, that's not good enough. Give us a sign. Give us a sign from heaven that you are who they say you are. Guys, Jesus is showing us openness and the church people, the religious people, the, the fundamental people, the whatever you want to call them, they're so closed off. Don't be like them. Do not be like this. 
Your identity in Christ is one of openness, not one of closed-mindedness. And guys, I know that scares us as Christians because we're like, oh, like, you know, what if, what if someone like convinces our kids they should be Muslims or convinces our kids they should be atheists or it's like, guys, be open like Jesus is open. We know what's core. We know what's absolute. We know what the truth is. Hold on to that and be open. Don't be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Just open your eyes. Like that it's 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 all around us and be open as Jesus is open. And for our church in this in this season and this stage, let's not be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Let's be open. We want to make disciples. We want to we want to see people hear and obey God. Our old framework, our old church structure was not doing that the way it should be doing that. And so we said we don't need that. We were open to saying, God, what do you want? And so we were open to saying, God, you take this and you do whatever you want with this. And guys, we're still open to say, God, if this isn't it, you change it. Guys, I don't think this is the last and final iteration of who Trinity Life Church is. If you've been with us for any length of time over the past nine years, we've probably been 15 different churches. Like we, We're constantly reiterating things. We're constantly... Um, we're constantly changing things. We're constantly saying, God, what do you want for us? We're constantly saying, we're open, God. We know the mission. We know our mission is to make disciples. That's not going to change. But how we do that, we're open to that. So let's do that together. Jesus, thank you for modeling this for us. Thank you for showing us yourself in a different way that we often tend to brush over, ignore, we, we don't know what to do with this passage, so we kind of like just say, oh, well, that's kind of an anomaly of who you are. But Jesus, it's very much a part of who you are, just like anything else is. And we get to take that in the context of all the other things about who you are. And so we don't forget that you're love because of your response here. We say, no, we know you are love. So how does this fit in with that? We don't, we don't forget that you're holy and that you're righteous and that you're just and that you're gracious and merciful, we take this in context of that. And now we take those things in context of you being severe here and you being devout here and you being um, uh, focused on your mission here. And so Jesus, just teach us and grow us and make us more like you and do that for our church as a whole. We ask in your name. Amen.